Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello and welcome back to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. I'm John Paul Young and I'm absolutely delighted to be back behind the microphone for another season. Thanks to the folk at the Australian Men's Shed Association for letting me loose again. Here's what we'll be talking about this time around. Our shed in the spotlight this episode is literally taking to the waves. I spent some time not far from my place at the Lake Macquarie Classic Boat Shed. Beautiful stuff. My special guest knows all about Aussie blokes and their sheds. Aussie country music magnate John Williamson dropped by for a bit of nostalgia. Butch is back and we're chatting all things outdoors and on the road. Did you know that Butch's first name is Roman? You could say I'm Roman with Roman. It reminds me of an old Scottish song. And in Ask the Doc Amps's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance and Healthy Males Professor Rob McLaughlin are getting to the bottom of a few things about testosterone. On the tools is a special one for any train enthusiasts out there. Marty chats with the blokes from Coffs Coast Railway Modelers. And Rips watching the world go by. So let's get into it. Shed Story. Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight. I'm here at the Lake Macquarie Classic Boat Shed here at uh, at Rathmines uh, with Bill and Lyndall. And uh, Bill, this is uh, quite an amazing place you got here. Well, it's taken us quite a few years to get it to this state, to this uh, stage of uh, busyness. Yeah. Building and, and, yeah, such wonderful uh, craft, you know. We've got one, two, three, four, five, and a and a huge timber mould up the top there that you made. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, the Catalina down the back there that you just told me is uh, uh, a repl- replica of a Scottish rescue boat. Yeah, it's called a St Isles Skiff. A St Isles Skiff. 23 feet long, rowed by four people. Wonderful. Now, there's quite a history involving how this uh, shed came to be. Originally, it was just putt-putt owners coming to the shore, shore of Lake Macquarie for a picnic mm-hmm. and then become heritage, became Heritage Afloat, which was run by the local Chamber of Commerce up until about 15 years ago when an association was put together called the Lake Macquarie Classic Boat Association to run uh, an event at Easter on the shoreline of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And that continued to about 2015 when the activity in, the, in this classic boat shed took over from activity on the foreshore at, uh, Lake Mac- at uh, Toronto. Yep. And so we moved our picnic to Rathmines, in right. Rathmines Park. And it's gone well. It's gone very well. We've uh, introduced the Boat Bits Bonanza, which is an opportunity for people who have a sh- shed full of boat parts mm-hmm. to se- uh, sell them on to another person or for people who are looking for something for their boat project to come along and buy boat parts at a sensible price. Right. I tell you what, I wish I'd known. I, I had an old um, an old uh, clinker hole thing and it was uh, it used to tow oyster barges on the Georges River. <laughs> and I'd say it was around, you know, early 1900s. Uh, I finished up selling it to a bloke to use for a cubby house for his kids. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope he hasn't wrecked it. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just marvellous that you keep these things alive. And storage is the problem, and that's yeah. probably why your boat ended up in a, in a child's it's playground. A lot to do with it, uh, and rot. We have a boat just, <laughs> just here that we've been looking at that uh, is a classic example of something that could, could easily have been taken to the tip. Yes. But we rescued the boat, and uh, in just a few weeks we've, we've changed it from uh, being a pig's ear to a... Silk purse, beautiful. And you know, you're telling me about some of the some of the talents of the the people that that come along here. They're, we're looking at this wonderful uh, piece of machinery here. It's a shame we can't look at it because it's um, it's like a 1950s sort of a speedboat. Yes, it's boat. a 1560s speedboat with, with a big uh, Chevy V8 in it. 14 feet long, a ski boat, 
many of our members are uh, from the trades. Uh -huh. have worked in trades all their lives. So you can imagine after 40 or 50 years of working as a, as a tradesperson, they have enormous skills, fantastic yep. uh, knowledge and, and abilities. And they, they really do seek perfection, although I keep telling them that that tends to get in the way of a good job. <laughs> I know what you mean. And Lyndall. You're, uh, you're, you're a part of this as well, which is, which is wonderful to see as far as men's sheds go, let me tell you. Yes, John, uh, I, I've always been welcomed here. There's a few others of us. Yeah, how many ladies do we have? There's only three or four, and I guess I'm, I'm the regular. Um, and I'm really happy to come down on a Thursday and a Tuesday, if I can, to have morning tea because I've found they are the most delightful group of, of men they range from tradies and labourers to uh, surgeons mm -hmm. and barristers yep. and all sorts of people. So the conversations are always warm and friendly and interesting. So I love coming down. That's really fantastic. Do. So you men sheds out there, you know, you could be missing out on something. Get with the program. <laughs> it's just great. It's great to see, you know, that because uh, – been doing the, I've been doing the podcast for 12 months and this is the first time I've actually spoken to uh, a shed that has women involved in it. And well, I, I think the guys would probably really like a few women who'd pick up a piece of sandpaper, but it ain't me. <laughs> well done. Um, I'm not great on sanding the boats. So what do but, you do, Linda? Oh, I provide good cheer. Good. Uh, I sometimes will cook for them. Yep. Often will make sure I turn up for morning tea. I've rode in the, in the Catalina. Uh-huh. Difficult. I've steered the Catalina. Um, so j look, generally joining joining in with what they're doing. But uh, I'm not a great boat builder. No, but you're here, and that's that's the main thing. Uh, tell me about the Catalina. You told me that uh, what, twice a week the boys go out there and, uh, and 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 row their way out to the sand islands. Now, how far is that? That's got to be what two kilometres at least. I'm not sure, but it's it's a pretty good row. Yeah. Uh, every Tuesday morning, about eight o'clock in the morning and on a Thursday morning. And there's a group, probably 10 or 12, so they share it around a little bit. Yep. Um, they have been known to get out to the Sand Island before nine o'clock with a bottle of red. Um, and there are a number of our members who have waterfronts around, um, you know, in Secret Bay and Coal Point and Fishing yep. Point and Wanji. And so they'll row there for morning tea and, and be back by 11-ish, that sort of time. It takes them a little bit longer to come back than it did to well, get there, probably. either that or it's a little bit faster. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, the, the guys who row, they, they really take it quite seriously and, and they're getting very good at it, actually. Oh, it's a magnificent bit of kit, it as is. everything is in here. you know. So what's our future here? Well, that's a good question. We've, we're developing a marketing a business plan mm -hmm. uh, because apart from boat builders, we also have people who've been involved in management of organisations for many years. So we have a, a business plan and our business plan is essentially to keep people occupied. Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen six projects here, but we have another shed where there's another six projects. Right. Uh, and I've just in just completed my president's report for this month, and I've come up with 27 items that need to be uh, supervised and and focused on. Right. So we've got a lot going on, but when we're not we're not uh, our objective is not to be bigger, but just to be a bit better. Right. And that's a bloody good objective to have. <laughs> Bill and Lendl, thank you very very much for being our shed in the spotlight here on the podcast. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which the members of the Lake Macquarie Classic Boatshed meet, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today's special guest is a man who knows the importance of us blokes having a shed. In fact, he even wrote a song about it. Now, if you haven't guessed it, I caught up with Aussie country music superstar John Williamson. As you can imagine, John and I have run into one another a few times over the 50 years we've both been on the scene. So we got into some reminiscing all the way back to childhood. You were raised in the Mallee, John? Yep, in the Mallee in uh, a little town called Kwambatook in uh, northern Victoria in the Mallee. Yeah, 
And uh, even though we lived in the town, my dad actually, my dad and uncle were partners. They had blocks of land all around, so it was easier for us, much more convenient for us and my cousins to live in town. And, uh, you know, it it was like the centre of where our farms were anyway. Doesn't Molly Meldrum come from Quambatook? Yeah, well, he wasn't born born there, you know, like I was there right from, you know, I was born in Kerrang, but that was only 26 miles away. And then we, <laughs> so Quambook's my, my uh, birth town. But Molly, uh, I think he came from Cobram or something like that originally, but he was only a kid when he came to Quambook, yeah. Anyway, more about you, John. When did music enter your life? Uh, well, in Quambook, you know, my mum and dad, um, I've told this story so many times, it's like a record really, but <laughs> my mum and dad, both uh, being farmers, you know, like, uh, but they love music and they love the musicals and stuff like that and they both love singing. So uh, they had their voices trained by a teacher in Kerrang. So they, they did a really good job with what they did. They used to sing duets as well as, and dad was solo, and mum would never go solo, but but uh, any local productions in Kerrang, Swan Hill, or that you know, they'd be in it like Flynn, you know. And uh, and Dad played banjo on the local banjo. Dad played banjo on the local band in Quambatook whenever they put on a kitchen tea or a, any excuse for a dance. With the town hall was down the end of our street, so uh, and he taught me to play the ukulele because he had his banjo tuned the same as a ukulele. So it was easy for me to go onto guitar, which is tuned the same basically. Now. Sheds. You got the shed? You got a big shed by the sounds of it? Yeah, I've, I've probably got the best shed in the country, mate, as far as um, a, a, th- a thing for a man to have fun in because I actually do concerts in the shed. But um, I've been collecting Australiana and all sorts of curious things over the years, including old Holtons. And um, even though the, the shed is 20 metres by 20 metres and 6 metres high, oh, there's no room in the walls to put anything anymore. <laughs> i got a workshop in there as well, and I've collected quite a lot of old hammers and stuff like that because uh, I, I, uh, I enjoy going on the road and calling into any junk shop or antique shop that I see, you know, so um, old saws and all sorts of things, you know. Are people flabbergasted when you walk in and, uh, you, of course, you're recognised every time? Oh, uh, no. I think I've got a bit of a reputation for collecting things. <laughs> they usually they've usually seen me before. <laughs> You're a regular. <laughs> yeah, a regular. Yeah, I mean, I've been on the road nearly fifty-two years, so you know. But uh, I, you never know what you're going to find. You know, it's uh, that Australiana is harder to find now than it used to be. But uh, anyway, yeah, I've got you know, I've got um, one wall covered in a paint, uh, a cartoons of of my song. The Crocodile Roll, which was, I sang it on Ray Martin's show years ago, and uh, Benier, I think the artist's name, Benier, who, who I think he did art cartoons for uh, one of the big papers. And it was The Crocodile Roll, which was a bit of a take on Joe and Flo. They were the ones that, you know, it was Flo that got taken and Joe was going to shoot the shoot the, the crocodiles, you know. And um, so I've got that in one wall, you know, so that that kind of thing. I've got big uh, signed Guernseys and things by our hockey club and the and the Wallabies and you know all sorts all sorts of stuff that I've collected. I've got stuff signed by our test team because I've sung for all of these things, you know. So what what do you, how do you keep all that sort of stuff neat and tidy? Is is, is that a is that a, a mammoth dusting job? Oh yeah, it drives me mad, but it doesn't bother me. I think it's part of the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> You got to wipe a few spider webs down before they come in, but you know that's that's why the shed is so interesting. That's um, not only is it got so much things for people to look at. I, I, I do about a two-hour show, just once one weekend a year, just two two days, two in the daytime. We give them a two-hour show, mm-hmm. and uh, I've built a little stage in the corner, and there's a little green room at the back, and all that, and. Uh, they have a ball, and you open the roller door, and you're looking over the Numbar Valley. It's one of you know an absolutely beautiful view. So it's got so much going for it. It all started when I sat on a log and did a, a video singing some songs on a log with that same view. And I said, oh, I've got to put a shed here. Ah, that's been a while back now. Oh, wow. about fourteen years ago, I think it was. Oh, well, I I, uh, I really hope to um, come up there one day and have a look at it. It sounds fascinating. What's your favourite Holden? 
Uh, oh, probably my my 51 FX ute. It's a green, you know, utes are rarer because they've been knocked about a lot on farms and that, you know, and a lot of them didn't survive. So it's a cream. But I've also got a FJ yellow cab. I, I bought it years ago and it was originally a cab, apparently. It's got the bar around the back, you know, that's held onto the back seat. And they used, kids used to break their teeth on it, apparently, before seat belts were invented. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's the willow shed. I call the shed willow shed. Yep. And uh, the taxi is the Willow Shed courtesy car. If I've got a mate coming to see us, I'll go down to the airport and pick him up in the yellow cab. It's fun. Oh, wow. So that's great. You, they all still drive and you still move them, you still drive them around every now and again, keep them up? Yeah, they're all running. I've got a uh, FJ Ute Green one as well, which I haven't done anything with. It's kind of original. And, uh, and of course, I've got the, the Bash car, the WB Holden Ute. That's there, and a, and a tractor. It's big enough to hold all those vehicles out of the weather. All right. Yeah. Now, speaking about a shed, all Australian boys need a shed. Yeah, mate, I think so. I, I actually was uh, – the original lyrics came from a mate named Tony Dennett, and it was all over the place, the lyrics, but we, we tidied it up, and I added um, a bit about you know, a place to get away from the wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he, he came up with that idea. As soon as he said, all Australian boys need a shed, I knew there was a song there straight away, as you can imagine. Songs often yeah. come that way. It was, it's an idea, a hard thing to come up with, not so much the lyrics. Yeah. Just the, a good idea, and that was a beauty. He still thinks my career would be stuffed if we hadn't put that one together. <laughs> now, I think the first time we crossed paths would have been uh, with the, the Slim Dusty celebration the big emi celebration when uh when i was asked to sing pub with no beer all right and i did i did a short of short of a quid no 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 um one about the tin the tobacco the good tobacco when i smoke yeah that was the one about a tobacco tin that's right you must have good tobacco <laughs> yeah I was I was absolutely amazed to be asked to sing that song, and uh, when I came off the stage, you said to me, "Well, you'll never make a country singer." I said that. Ah, jeez, I've been a prick at times. That's all right. I was a prick back to you. I said, "Well, well, thank God for that." <laughs> I, I'm sure you didn't want to be a country singer anyway. <laughs> oh dear. We will uh, speak a little bit about um, about the bash. Um, that evening we had. In, uh, in Cohen, up near Cape York, uh, on our way back from Cape York, was one of the funniest nights of my life. Yeah, at the... Uh, Exchange Hotel. That's right, and they call it, put an S on the front and said Sex Change. Yeah, the, and the pub, yeah, and the publican came out as cross-dressed right in the middle of my song, Cootam Under Wattle, which was the only serious song I did that night, and I was a bit pissed off with him, actually. <laughs> you were very pissed off with him because he, uh, if I remember rightly, he uh, he asked asked you to do a uh, a song down by the campfire later on at night, <laughs> and uh, and then he, without any warning, announced to all and sundry that you and me were going to do a concert right there and then. You've been in the game a long time too, and uh, there's nothing worse than someone. Jumping on stage or trying to steal it or get in front of you or like like you do a Christmas show or something that's a bloody clown or Santa Claus walks on stage or something that nothing nothing shits you more eh? <laughs> yeah, you can't compete with Santa. Yeah, or or or, or um, what's that giraffe? Happened something or other. He walked out in the middle of true blue. I wasn't real pleased with him either. <laughs> You you are a bit mechanically minded. I mean, I've I've seen you under that uh, WB Holden a few times. I've got you bluffed, obviously, because I I can't stand mechanics. I, I'm an ex farmer, and that, that's one thing I didn't like. You're always under bloody machinery, knocking your head on the underneath, and up doing up bolts in awkward positions. And I I, I uh, if I can find somebody else to get under the car, I will. You know, and thankfully there's some magic mobile workshops on the bash so uh yeah it's funny when i first 
when I first went in the bash, everyone wanted to help me, you know. I thought, oh, you beauty, I'll stand back and have a beer, you know. And, uh, but once I got the name, you know, I don't want to help anymore except for the mobile shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it's all tuned and ready to go and hit the road again this year. Been ready twice now for no reason. <laughs> Did you do the little one? No, I haven't. I haven't been on uh, since uh, since the Airs Rock, since the uh, the Uluru expedition. Ah, that's where I sang raining on the rock when it's everyone put out umbrellas because it wasn't raining. That was a bit weird. What you got to do is you're told. And if I remember rightly, I was your roadie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, that's great. And uh, you know, I, you've actually encouraged me because uh, you said to me, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but you turned to me and you said you should write a song about that. And in the meantime, a song has come come to the fore that we're still working on, and it's going to be called Uluru. I, I did send Meg a, a shot that I took of you standing outside the WB, right, with your with your hand shading your eyes um, and uh, the great Uluru in the background, and uh, I'll probably put that up on the website for everybody to have a look at as well. Oh, good, yeah, that was a good day when we all parked there, and my best photo is uh, that dog. What's the dog? One dresses up as a dog all the time. Oh, yes, well, there's been a few different ones, uh, but yes. <laughs> I've got a photo of this it's... big, ugly head of a dog in front of the – and all you can see is the dog's head and the, and the rock. It really looks funny. It's, it's a good some good shots from that day. Well, I look forward to catching up with you again, John, uh, later on this year. Yeah, and, uh, and for your listeners, uh, we've sold out this year because we only uh, the shed only takes 200 at a time, but – we do it every until I finally retire, and my last concert will be in Machete, I think. Yeah, we do it. It's a long weekend in June, long weekend for New South Wales, anyway. Yeah, long weekend in June. It's usually the Saturday and the Sunday, or the Friday and the Saturday. But uh, yeah, they don't have to look up johnwilliamson.com.au. You're welcome to come anytime. Thank you very much. It's been a delight, John. Thank you very much for. Spending some time with us uh, on the on the shed wireless. It's my pleasure, JPY. It's um, you're a man of many colours. Thanks again, John. Gee, I wouldn't mind getting a seat at one of John's concerts at the Willow Shed. Sure does look like a picturesque shed. You can have a look on John's website and let me know if you managed to snag a ticket to one of this year's sold-out shows or even perhaps if you've been to one before you could give us a scoop. I tell you what, I'm really looking forward to getting into that old FX taxi or FJ taxi. Sounds marvellous. Well, Butch is here. It's time to talk all things outdoors. Butch, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks, John. Good to be back with you again. Now, uh, may as well start off in fishing because that's normally what we talk about. You've, you've been out fishing lately and um, because of all the rain we've had right across the country, um, the water's still pretty, pretty filthy. Oh, it's bloody awful, John. <laughs> Speaking of... Uh... The harbour itself, that's where I mainly fish. It's just dirty. It's dirty everywhere, even up right up the Parramatta River, right right down near the heads, John. As you know, it used to be really clean there, but Middle Harbour, it's all dirty. And um, just the other day I went uh, wading on the North Shore and where I normally water's really crystal clear. I got At least I got one flathead and my mate got a, a whiting on lures. So even though the water's dirty, you know, the fish have got to eat and um, the flathead really went for my lure like you wouldn't believe it. Came back twice, so they're hungry and, um, you know, you've got to do the best you can in these conditions. I mean, I hear you um, you almost uh, caught a golden retriever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. It's, uh, where we go, um, that particular place is one of those dog, dog so-called dog-friendly parks where people bring their dogs the place is no longer fisherman friendly. It's just dog friendly. So you're out there waiting in knee deep water <laughs> and you're casting away and minding your own business and then you feel this wet nose up your bum and you turn around this great big golden retriever sniffing around and you turn around to the owner and the owner's laughing. Like, give me a break. They've got the whole park to, to you know, have their dog in 
They throw balls all over the place, disturbs the fishing, and then they've got the hide to laugh and think it's funny. <laughs> Just my pet hate at the moment. Well, yeah. So, so you reckon we need more more fisherman friendly parks now? Yeah, exactly. You know, no dogs allowed. Put it that way. Big sign up, or at least where they have all dogs must be on a leash. At least you know enforce that. Never seen anyone pulled up yet. And but the worst of it is, Jim, the owners the owners think it's funny. They've got no control over these animals anymore. Well, you know. <laughs> It's it, it it happens when you get older, Butch. You, you you start to come across more and more people with no life experience, <laughs> <laughs> and and they would say they come across more cranky old bastards. So I guess we're even. Indeed, they would. <laughs> so let's talk about. Um, we're heading into uh, we're heading into winter now. I. I uh, I do remember now is about the time when uh, when you and I used to go to places like Little Manly and. Uh, and get the the live yellowtail, and um, not only for our bait on our outside expeditions, but um, we'd always hang one by the side of the boat in the hope of a John Dory hitting it. Yeah. And it did well, happen a few times. It did. It did. Um, we used to target John Dory quite a bit, didn't we, just coming up to this time of the year. I haven't heard many reports on John Dory at the moment. I think the water's still too warm for them. Uh, they're normally a deep-water fish and only come into the harbour when the water's cold, so... It may be a little bit. And the water's dirty again, John. It's hard to find live bait. It's just they're all scattered all over the place. Yeah, just one of those things. But I'm heading off to um, to Weeper soon. Did you know that? I think I told you I'm heading oh, off to Oh, well, Weeper. I was just about to say, yeah, wintertime is when uh, grey-headed old folk like yourself uh, <laughs> tend to take off into the wilds. Yeah, yeah. I'm a grey nomad uh, by age and and. Uh, hair, hair, facial hair, um, but this trip I'm not actually doing a, a road trip like the normal, you know, grey nomads. They head off to Cape York or on the west coast they head up to the Northern Territory. I'm actually flying in, which is the easy, the cheats way. But at least we're avoiding the muddy roads and the impassable, you know, bits of flooding and whatever that might happen this time of the year. It's not a really good time for the grey nomads to be heading north yet because. The wet season may not be totally over and the cyclone season might not be over. So I caution anyone really – I mean, everyone's dying to get up there because, the you know, the closures, border closures are, are over with and um, so people are dying to get away. But I just I just think people should hang back another couple of weeks and um, maybe take some local advice from up, up north, uh, check with national parks if you plan to stay at a national park. Some of the national parks will still be closed. I know the ones up at um, near Cape York are often closed still this time of the year, till the um, till the water goes down and the roads are passable. They won't let you in while the roads are dicey. They just won't let you in the park. So it's always worth ringing and finding out. So that's that's my advice. Yeah, because the uh, the enormous uh, the enormous cost to the locals. Uh, you know, if you get bogged, um, you know, at the cost of. Uh, getting you out of that bog is one thing, but uh, the uh, the destruction of these these roads is uh, is a, a huge uh, cost, you know, for for local councils to, to try and overcome. Yeah, the what happens as um, soon as they think the wet season's over, they usually get the graders in, John. So all the puddles and all the all the corrugations and all that, they try and eliminate those, especially up the main roads like the Telegraph Road going to Cape York. Uh, the road into Weeper itself, um, a friend of ours, Dave, he, he found it very difficult to get in and out of there recently. He only just made it in and out along the dirt road into Weeper and he's got a four-wheel drive and he's a very experienced um, driver in that those conditions. And he said, oh, and he just made it to get out. So I'd be very cautious now for a little while. Once I get the graders in, it'll be fine. Now, um, is there any hope of you bringing me back a barramundi? <laughs> There is always hope, John. <laughs> For those at home, that's a no. <laughs> now, unless you're prepared to drive down to Sydney to pick it up, pick up your barramundi. So, in other words... Uh, well, you know, if I'm going to drive to Sydney, I might as well go to straight to the fish markets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, though, my, my barramundi will probably be fresher. Well, that's <laughs> probably true. The hopes of a fresh barramundi are probably not. 
No. Not this trip. No. Maybe another one. But getting back to okay. the, the whole grey nomad thing, uh, I think uh, as, as the months go on, we might talk a little bit more about that and what sort of, uh, what sort of equipment and, uh, is, is available to people out there because it's changing all the time, the whole uh, camping out uh, sort of lifestyle. Yeah, it is. And um, I, think, I think the main thing is if you want to actually catch fish on the trip, you've got to take a boat. But um, the, the main thing is not to even contemplate taking a boat on a trailer. That's a big no-no up there. You'll destroy the trailer and probably destroy the boat in the process of getting from A to B when you're travelling on hundreds of kilometres of dirt road. So we'll get into that later, but a topper, a, a tinny or a fold-up boat or a blow-up boat or something is much more practical up there. But we'll get into that because I want to get into some of the fishing gear you might need up there. You know, it's always good to catch fish while you're away, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Great to talk to you, and we'll uh, we'll speak next time. And uh, like I said, we'll we'll get into it a bit more about um, about getting out there in the grave nomad time, uh, the wonderful winter getaway that uh, most people of our age yep. uh, love to do. Okay, look forward to it, John. Thanks very much. Okay, bye bye. Got a question? Ask the doc. Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. In the words of Ask the Doc resident expert Professor Rob McLaughlin, testosterone is a wonderful hormone. It's important for our metabolic health, bone density, muscle strength, as well as effects on behaviour. So is testosterone therapy the answer when the wind seems to be out of our sails? AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance and Healthy Males Professor Rob McLaughlin are getting to the bottom of a few myths about testosterone. Thanks, JPY, and hello, everyone. My name's Stuart Torrance. I'm the Men's Health Project Officer from the Australian Men's Shed Association, and we're joined by Professor Rob McLaughlin, Medical Director of Healthy Male. G'day, Rob. G'day, Stuart. How are we going? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, uh, happy to see uh, COVID getting in the rear vision mirror and life's getting back to normal. It's sensational. It's, it's, it's uh, good to get out and about. It certainly Absolutely. is. Absolutely. But Rob, first off, before I um, get going, I, I'd just like to highlight a, a little concern I've got about our electronic gadgetry. Mm. The other day, my wife was going through uh, one of her life changes, getting hot and cold flushes as she does, mm. and my heart really goes out to her, and mm. these changes she's going through, and you know, being the bloke I am, I empathized a little bit with her. <laughs> I let her know that I'm struggling myself and I'm, I'm struggling to get up in the morning and I'm feeling a little run down. Yeah. I assured her that we'd get through this together. Yes. I don't actually think my comments went down too well, um, <laughs> but that's another concern. What got me, Rob, was I've started getting these push advert, adverts on my social media. Mm. And it starts by saying, feeling tired, it could be low testosterone. Uh, how to increase your testosterone. Ten signs you have low testosterone. What's mm. going on? This is scary. Do I need uh, testosterone? Uh, I need to get to the bottom of this. Is the testosterone, is that the answer to everything, Rob? Tell me. <laughs> well, there are people who will sell you anything to, to, uh, for the fountain of youth. It's been mm. around for, for centuries, and uh, there's a lot of uh, proprietary interest and in, uh, uh, people with less, less than high-level motivations trying to send you that stuff. Let's talk about testosterone, what we really know about it. And I'm happy to come to the controversies about middle-aged and older men uh, toward the end, but I think we get, need to get some ground rules straight what we're talking about here. Mm, please do. Explain what testosterone is to men. What does it do? Well, look, testosterone is a wonderful hormone. <laughs> uh, it has so many good things that it does for us. People think about, you know, sex, the sexual life and that kind of libido and whatever. It does a lot more than that. Uh, it's very important for our metabolic health, for uh, our uh, bone density, for our muscle strength, uh, as well as uh, effects on, on behavior. Uh, and so, you know, without it, uh, look, you know, life would go on, but it would be a pretty poor quality life without it. So look, let's talk about testosterone from the very outset. It's the hormone that helps a, a young boy turn into a man. That's a process of virilization. And you can see the difference between a, an eight-year-old and an 18-year-old. That's testosterone. The body hair, the muscle, uh, the, the strength, uh, the vigor. Uh, he goes about his young life. That's due to testosterone. And so if for various reasons a, a young guy doesn't have good testosterone, 
uh, levels. And there are plenty of reasons for that, particularly failure of the testicles to develop well. They won't go through those changes. They will have a sort of pudgy tummy. They'll have poor muscles. They'll, they'll feel tired. They won't be able to play footy. They, they just won't be engaging and looking like their, like their mates. And uh, if you can pick those ones up, uh, and put them on testosterone, everything goes back to normal. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful hormone. Um, you know, the same thing can happen in older guys. And you know, I see men who've had, you know, cancer treatments, have lost their testes from from cancer or or trauma or road accidents or whatever. If it, if it happens to a, a man who's had testosterone in his life and suddenly uh, the level drops because of the damage that's happened to his testicle, they notice it. They just say, the wind's out of my sails. You know, I'm tired, I'm lethargic, and uh, uh, I'm just not what I used to be. Uh, and you put them back on and everything goes back to normal. So there's no doubt that in the normal male or a male who's had it and then loses it, they really do need it. Okay, so Rob, just to clarify, you <clears throat> you indicated there that... Uh, if uh, a, an older uh, man um, loses his testosterone uh, for whatever uh, reason, be it damage to his testes or, or disease or, or the like, he actually would become more lethargic and run down yes. rather than, um, you know, showing signs of uh, aggression or, or or things like that. Is is that right? Yes. Well, when he loses when he loses the testosterone, he just I sometimes describe it as, you know, like your mobile phone starts to flash, you know, put back, put me back in the charger. He just doesn't feel the energy. Uh, and so he'll be less engaging. He'll do less. Uh, he may be quite confused as to what's gone wrong compared to his mates. He's really dragging the chain. He can't get around the golf course. Uh, and as obviously in, in the bedroom, he's going to be noticing uh, less interest, less function, less uh, erectile quality, uh, those sorts of things. A whole lot of stuff will happen. Now, they don't all get all the things, you see. For some guys, they notice one or two things particularly. They're, they're the, if you like, the sentinel events for him. That's what he notices. His mate, who had the same, may get the same problem, may notice something different. So we all, they have a, like a fingerprint of symptoms they come along for. So if they on shots and they they feel better and then they run out of the shots so stop it for some reason they kind of know what to look for it's come back and they know exactly what's going to go wrong with them okay so this doesn't necessarily happen to everybody rob is that what you're saying no no it certainly does not uh uh and uh probably across the community perhaps one every 200 men have got testosterone deficiency it's almost always due to a testicular disease with which they are born or they might acquire during uh life occasionally it's due to pituitary failure and the, the central hormone in the brain which drives the testicle that can fail um, but that you know that that's not very common. Yeah. Okay. So Rob, men don't go through like a menopause that women go through. It's a totally different uh, scenario. Is that is that right? Absolutely different. There's no similarity between what your dear spouse is going through and what you can expect to go through in your life. Well, there you go. That that um, sort of alleviates things. I was speaking to Rip Woodchip the other day, and he was going off, and and um, he was cranky, Franky, and I thought, oh, hang, he's he's going through the change of life. But now you've just cleared everything up for me. What do you think Rip Woodchip would uh, need to do to get over his crankiness? Like, you know, is he run down, or what's what's his story? Oh, there's look. I mean, the, the, you hit up an interesting point here, Stuart. Symptoms like tiredness, lethargy grumpiness, low, poorer sex life. There's all sorts of reasons for that. All sorts of reasons, but nothing to do with testosterone. You know, the psychological issues, stress, anxiety, uh, poor, poor health, uh, uh, you know, maybe he's hurt his knee and can't play golf anymore and he's miserable because he wants to get back on the course. 101 different things take the edge off you as you get older. And so, you know, finding a, a, a simple way to blame everything on testosterone is easily marketed. And that's where those push the things are coming on your phone from people think oh well just about everybody you know you get the age of 50 or 60 you're going to have a, a complaint here or there let's try and link them all to testosterone and sell the drug uh so you know that's it there is nothing like a male um, a, a similar experience to the to the female now what we believe now is that as men age if they are in extremely good health they are perfectly happy and they're playing golf their testosterone levels hardly move you know, right into their 60s. Um, but, but if they are overweight, 
if they have diabetes, if they have you know, kidney issues, if they have nutritional issues, if they've got psychological issues like depression or anxiety issues, all of those things, they will push the testosterone level down. The two things go down together. So what you've got is testosterone is a marker of ill health. It's what we call a biomarker. It's a signal to say, hang on a sec, um, I'm going down because I've got other things on my plate. One way to look at that is if you have a guy that's overweight with poorly controlled diabetes and his testosterone is at the low end of normal, which it will often be, if he loses weight, if he gets his, his diabetes back under control, it'll come up again. So it's, it's, it's a reversible marker of ill health. It's not a permanent hardwired change in his biology. Uh, so we, we take a great emphasis now on, on taking the sort of men who are vulnerable to those advertisements you've referred to and saying, let's have a look at you, Craig, all together. You know, you, you've gained 10 kilograms in the last five years. You know, you're not exercising anymore. Your HbA1c has gone up to, you know, 7.5 or never that high before. What's going on? Look at that first. Don't go chasing the testosterone in a rabbit hole because it's not going to be where uh, all the li- more than likely where the action is. Now, that's not to say that you can't actually get a legitimate testicular issue or pituitary issue as you get older. You can get two things at once, I'm afraid. You know, So they still need to be evaluated and make sure they don't have uh, a, a classical cause that I alluded to before of deficiency that needs to be treated. But presuming that's the case and they don't have that, what I'm saying is that it's a biomarker of health rather than a driver. Fantastic. Okay. So in a nutshell, Rob, if things don't seem right, it's a good indication they aren't right. Yes. If things don't feel right, see your doctor. Yes. And see, diet, exercise and sleep will address most of our issues. Yes. Am I on the money, Rob? You are. You are. I, I, it's imp- important you do see your doctor. Because as I said, you, you can never be sure that you can't have two things at once. So you've got to be properly assessed. That might involve, if it's a, a borderline case, seeing a specialist, seeing an, a hormone man or somebody. Um, but you know, it's going to be more than likely back in the good old court of look after yourself, lose weight, take your medication, check your sugar, all that kind of stuff. And that will, that will get you back, back, on the, back on the playing field quicker than anything. Now, if you've got erectile issues, as often people you know, blame testosterone for that, you know, it's true that it can cause low, uh, low testosterone can cause erectile, erectile issues. But on the whole, as you probably know, it's more a blood vessel issue. And drugs like the uh, you know, Viagra and those sorts of drugs are very effective for that. It's not a testosterone issue. It's a, it's a blood vessel and the penis issue that you need to be considering. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a bit of an easy way out to blame everything on testosterone. What you need to do is go back and look at each part and, and, and analyze what's going on and treat it on its merits. Rob, there's no wonder pill here uh, to fix all our health problems. As That's no surprise to us all. I'm going to have to go back to Rip and say... You know, testosterone is not the answer. Uh, he better get the, himself over to see his doctor. To see his doctor, and don't, you know, and I, not not a, a commercial clinic that just wants to sell you something. Uh, you know, you need to see your doctor. You need to be seen and and, and you know examined and, and have tests done. There's no shortcuts, and that's what concerns me. People get shortcut and, and uh, you know down down rabbit holes which they shouldn't go down without proper evaluation. Absolutely. Rob, once again, it's been fantastic catching up with you and learning all about testosterone. I think we'll uh, dabble in this uh, topic again sometime. We'll we'll have a look at some of uh, maybe the other things that crop up. You, you mentioned androgen before. We'll have a look at that and um, we'll have a, another great Ask the Doc segment for everyone to listen to. Thank you all for listening and tuning in and we'll see you next time on Ask the Doc. Cheers. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to mailhealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. Hello, I'm Sean McAuliffe here and you're listening to The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. But you already know that, don't you? I mean, obviously, you've, you've already got this set up on Spotify. You've, you don't need me to tell you this. Take it away, John. Here's something for you at the
On the tools, on the shed wireless. I am here today at the Coffs Coast Railroad Modelers Incorporated. Oh, you can hear the trains going off already. I'm here with uh, Paul and John from up at the Coffs Coast. Um, I met these guys a few years back when they were just the, the idea was sort of sparking about the uh, the group up here. Can you put that thing away, mate? Jeez. <laughs> So this is, uh, you know, boys and their toys at the ultimate. Boys and their toys. Paul, how did this all come about? What have we got here anyway, and how did this all come about? Well, long story short, I moved to Coffs Harbour seven years ago, and there was nothing really happening as far as the Model Railroad Club. I'd been very involved in a club in Sydney, and I thought, well, the only one way to do something is get involved and get something happening here in Coffs. I met John through the automotive industry where I, because I was working at Goodyear at the time. I was repairing model trains part-time and uh, we just got together and we started it in my garage at home on a Friday night. And that's, for all intents and purposes, where the men's shed began, I suppose. So you just got a few blokes around there sitting around playing playing trains, as yeah, you do. <laughs> playing trains and telling lies here. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's about all you need, you know, and beer or coffee, whatever you do as, as well. So, um, then, you know, uh, mental health and, and, uh, and uh, prostrate and, and, and uh, health, uh, things become topic of discussion. And uh, then we, um, we bumped into another chap who was uh, modelling a railroad here in Coffs Harbour and uh, we got involved with him and then found out his wife had cancer and then when she departed this earth uh, he was very depressed and uh, I think and he will tell you himself that we've saved him from being underground as well so uh, that's when we really got the, the bee in our bonnet to do something with the men's shed and um, we'd been speaking to the other men's shed but we didn't want to make big bits of wood into little bits of wood we wanted to do something more constructive and that we hit on um, forming this incorporated club. Yeah, I guess it's, it's like we say, um, you know, what, what you do in the shed is, is, the, is the excuse, not the reason. It's all about the same thing, same, same, but different. And all the sheds do different things, don't they? But this is definitely a bigger than Ben-Hur, the, the railway modellers, you know, around Australia, around the world, isn't it? It's just, it's a huge, huge society. Yeah, well, we're members of the National Model Railroad Association, which is worldwide. And we're what's known as a 100% club. So every member of our club is a member of that association. You know, I think we're very unique as far as the Men's Shed Group in Australia goes because I don't think there's another model railroad club that's actually involved in... Well, I'll have to, I'll have to check you on that one. I'm not sure. We'll have to go, go, go to the database and have a look. But you, you could, be very, could be very well true. But, um, yeah, it's def it definitely is unique as far as what you're doing here. And it, it is amazing. They're, they're so intricate and s small and delicate. And I wouldn't know where to start with this sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, but I remember, I remember you taking me up to the, the other gentleman's place when I was up here a few years ago. And you, you showed me. And he had an elaborate setup there. That was just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, you make a very valid point on what people don't know how to start. And that's another reason this club is formed. Uh, we've probably got seven or eight new members that had no idea what to do and we've helped them build their model railways. Wow. So, yeah, so they've just come out of nowhere or they already had an interest in it or you just, you've met them along the way and they've come and joined and just learned as they went? Or? Yeah, all, all those things, you know. We, we run a show every year and with the show we get in, people interested so, you know, we're very uh, avid at getting new members and um, we get them to join up and just come and play with the... Or, or not play. We're, we're, we're not playing. This this is not playing, mate. This is this is real. <laughs> we we teach them how to operate a model railroad, um, and then if, as they get more involved, they want to build their own, and um, which is my forte, uh, which is uh, I've been doing this now 15, 20 years, uh, building model railroads, and uh, we show them how to do it, and uh, I can supply all the um, in, all the infrastructure they need, and John. He helps with all the wiring and all the other infrastructure as a follow-on. And yeah. then they come on here on a Friday night and a Saturday morning and they, they further their skills. So we run little clinics. Uh, we have a, another great artist in our club. We've got two artists, actually. Ian West, who's just moved here from Forbes. He's a renowned artist from Forbes. And uh, he's one of the best modellers of intricate scenery you'd ever see. And... Um, Cole South, the other chap we were talking about earlier, which has got the model railroad you first saw, he's one of our local artists as well. So he's 
His model railway is uh, unbelievable to see as far as detail goes with people inside the buildings and lights and action and uh, it's amazing. Incredible. It's definitely a labour of love and such intricate work and time. I mean, you'd want, a, you'd want a steady hand and a good eye, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, I haven't got real steady hands. <laughs> see, But the beer helps. <laughs> so, you, so you said you do a few shows to sort of, you know, promote what you do and everything and get some new members on board. How many, what sort of shows are you doing? How many members have, since you started, what, three or four years ago did you start? We had, we started with three people and that would have been five years ago. We've now got a, around 30 members of which I, I would say 50% of those are new blood that have yeah. never had a model railroad before but always wanted one. Um, as far as shows go, we like to try and travel with our exhibition layout, which is the biggest exhibition layout in Australia that's actually mobile. I noticed that bloody big car, tra- it looks like a big trailer out there, I don't know, it's massive and yeah, it looks like a caravan to me, but yeah. Yeah, well it's basically just a big open box and inside it is the uh, modules for a 16 by 20 metre layout, which is a walk around the outside and inside it's got around about 40 uh, fiddle yards to where we put all our storage trains in and then we run them out and run them around so we're constantly changing the trains so there's always interest to what's going on. Covid stopped us obviously doing shows last 18 months to two years but uh, we always try to run a show here in January when all the terrorists, I mean the tourists, <laughs> are up here on holidays yeah. and that um, we get our funding for, for the funding that we get from that runs our club for the next 12 months. Then we do um, shows that we're invited to. Um, we did Canberra last year. So uh, we travel with the layout. We travel um, thousands of kilometres with it. And uh, it's always highly uh, sought after to see. And yeah. we always get invited back because people love it. Yeah. Uh, my, my next question is, was going to be, what do you think the appeal is of, of the trains? And I just, John's, John's just sparked it up over there. And I'm just watching this thing go around. It's just, it is mesmerising. It's just... I don't know. It's the inner, I don't know if it's the inner child in, in all of us or something like that. But it's just seeing this thing go around is just magnificent. And listen to this. Can you hear that? That's just so cool. That is so cool. So, John, how did how did you get involved in all this, mate? Uh, well, I was involved in the original uh, Coffs Railway Modelers, um, and I was a bit disappointed when we started to slow down a bit. So um, I met, as Paul said, I met him through the. Mechanical business. I was a delivery driver for Repco at the time, and we did some deliveries to Goodyear, and found out he was interested in model trains. So uh, joined this group and, and tried to keep it running. So I bet you must, when you do do these shows, you just must get an abundance of men and boys. I, I assume. I don't like to be sexist. Like, yeah, everyone. Just the appeal of this must be so. So yeah. massive. You do it. You, you do it for the look on the kids' faces when the kids come in and their eyes light up and they run to the trains and go, "Oh wow!" And then they try and count the carriages yeah. and, and chase the trains around. It, it it brings a smile to their faces, which brings a smile to my face. I yeah. I do it for that. Where does all this come from? The model that you've got here. I know you said you you assist. Every, you, absolutely everything in our little train shed here has been donated by other modellers. Yeah. This particular model that we have here was donated by uh, a chap in Port Macquarie by the name of uh, Gary... Uh, Gary O'Brien, it was. There you go, there you go. Gary was um, retiring and buying a motorhome and he sold his home and he said, what what am I going to do with the layout? He said, I'm going to... He rang me and said, I'm going to throw the layout out. I said, you can't do that. He said, well, I've got nowhere to put it. I said, well, why don't you donate it to the club? And he said, well, all right, come and get it. So, and uh, that was where the the guts or the basics of this layout come from was from Gary Um, and then another chap in our group he was retiring going to a a nursing home and he said well you better come and get my layout because and then um, some other people moved up from um, Melbourne uh, who had an interest in model trains and they donated the fridge and and the big screen TV that we've got and then we had one of the other clubs in Sydney donated some kitchen utensils and the kitchen that we've got and um, basically the little shed that we're in was a condemned shed here at the showground so we repaired all that Mm. with a bit of community help and repaired the roof got rid of the leaks and um, we've now got somewhere that we can meet on a Friday night 
Yeah, she's, she's a small little shed. What do you say? You've got about 30 members now? Yeah, 30 members. We get 10 here of a, a regular basis. The 10 that come on a Friday are a bit different to the, the 10 that come on a Saturday. But I suppose you do all the other the other things that end sheds do. You sit around, you, you talk, oh, have, have a chat, have a coffee. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We've got chairs there that we can take outside and sit in the sun. And, yep. and we've got gazebos we can put up and... Work, 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 eh? Yeah, so the models here, are they based on any specifics of the town or anything like that? Or you just sort of throw them together, whatever? So that we've got the footy field here, over here, with the, the spectators. Is that the local club, the blue and the, yeah. the navy? <laughs> Light blue and the navy or what? Yeah, because they're getting smashed. There you go, and there's a bit of a western theme, it looks like, here yeah, too. Well, a bit basically, of a... this is a mixed match of everything. There's not prototypical as what, yeah. you know, as one railway. We've got, we've got New South Wales Aussie rules. We've got American... Um, buildings we've got an australian uh, oil refinery uh, we've got australian stations down there um, we've got a model of the old arnott's biscuit factory over there on the wall which was down at strathfield yet over there we've got an american um, roundhouse um, so it's a matter of things that have been donated and what we could do with what we had brilliant Brilliant. Well, guys, thank you very much for having me today, and um, we're going to um, we're going to sign off. JP, we're going we're to sign off, and I'm going to have a bit of a play with these trains. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's get into it. Let's play. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. With Rip Woodchip. G'day, Shedders, Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I'm just sitting on the back veranda watching the world go by. Mind you, my world's pretty small, so it doesn't take much watching, but I could stare at it all day. They say it's a big wide world out there, but to me, my world consists of a small yard, me missus and kids and grandkids, and a handful of friends that are still about. I used to worry about the state of the world and all its affairs and etc. Sometimes to the point of keeping me up at night. The six o'clock news could have that effect on you at times. It can be an hour of doom and gloom most days, and then they tap in a story of a cat getting rescued out of a tree or something to try and end on a good note. Fantastic, we're on the verge of World War Three, but Fluffy's back on solid ground. Sleep well, citizens. <laughs> I've learned not to worry so much and to take it all in my stride and concentrate on my own backyard until I hear different. Yeah, I don't let the news get to me much anymore. It's kind of like watching a bar fight. Just watch from a distance... And don't get involved unless someone spills your beer. If it ain't affecting me or me nearest and dearest, then it's not too much of my own business, I reckon. I can probably tell you how many times I've heard the end of the world was coming and then saw it just go again just as quick. I've seen wars unfold, prime ministers and presidents come and go, and sometimes just plain disappear. Poor old Harold Holt. Famines, droughts, floods, pandemics, epidemics, tsunamis, volcanoes, hurricanes and millennium bugs. But I'm still here. We prevent it if we can and deal with it if we have to. But most of the time, we count our losses, mop up the mess and move on regardless. I'm not saying I don't care about the future or nothing, and I'm concerned about the world that my grandkids are going to grow up in, but although climate change is a genuine worry, and I have become somewhat more conscious of my environmental footprint, I ain't going to hold back a fart just to prevent an extra molecule of methane into the atmosphere. You hearing me? Some might call it ignorance, but to me... I reckon if we just do what we need to do, then I'm doing me bit. What did Billy Shakespeare say? All of the world is a stage and we are all but players. Yeah, well, I was never quite the thespian, so my part might never be big, but still just as important. I mean, you could act like Robert De Niro, but unless someone's there to roll back the curtain, you'd be standing in the dark talking to a sheet of material. You know what I'm saying, Shedders? If we all stopped doing our bit, then where would we be? What we all do in our own meagre way is equally important. And one can't survive without the other. It's like that story of the brain and the bumhole. The brain thought it was in control until the bumhole shut up shop for a while. What I'm trying to say, Shedders, in my own roundabout way, and what we need to keep reminding our young folk, is that we need not bloody worry too much about what we're seeing and hearing, unless you want to be part of it. Plant a tree, take out the recycle, be nice to everybody, and the universe will unfold just the way it's meant to be. Anyway, Shedders, my world needs a good mo right now, so I'd better get into it before the missus gets back from bingo. Okay, catch you next time, Shedders. Bye!
Well, that's a wrap on our first episode for Season 4. Great to be back, and I'm looking forward to another season of Shedding Conversations. What would you like to hear about? I'm sure we've got a few grey nomads listening in. Any special requests while I'm Roman with Roman? Send an email to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Speaking of the mailbag, I've got some pretty snazzy T-shirts for my mailbag mentions, so include your return postal address when you get in touch. And while I've got you, don't forget to share the podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to subscribe if you can, or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash the shed wireless. Until next time, folks, take it easy out there, especially if you're going to go wandering around the outback. Bye. Whatever is your game, everyone's the same. Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed. Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy, bald. In the shed, it's welcome, one and all. Share the skills you know, we're all having a go. There's a helping hand in the men's shed. Shit.